I'm Bob Krell. I'm the founder and publisher of Healthy Indoors Magazine. And uh, it's great to uh, see you guys again this week. We have a really good show. Um, it's that time of year where it's back to school. Um, August uh, signifies that. And uh, in uh, a co a coordination with that, we're going to uh, be talking about um, school issues today um, and dealing with uh, making your schools a healthier indoor environment. So, to that end, we have uh, two great guests with us. Um, joining us today are Claire Barnett, who is the Executive Director of the Healthy Schools Network, and Pamela Pugh, who is uh, the Vice President of the Michigan State Board of Education. So um, they'll be joining us in a moment. Um, the uh, Healthy Indoors Magazine issue is currently out, and that's kind of exciting. Uh, we're uh, we're pretty, pretty excited to uh, featured our cover story, which is on uh, a recent document that we'll be talking about in a few minutes. But many of you may be watching uh, this show on the Healthy Indoors uh, Global Indoor uh, Community. Um, if you're not, you should be uh, taking a look at uh, the community over at uh, global.healthyindoors.com. You can be, become a member, but you don't need to be a member to watch our shows or any of our broadcasts. Um, and it'll give you the opportunity to uh, comment on the show today and actually ask questions of our guests. So, uh, without further ado, I'd like to introduce uh, both of our guests, Claire and Pam. How are you? Very well. How are you, Bob? Pretty good. Um, my, my first question is, are you getting an echo from my voice or is everything good? Everything's uh, good this way. <laughs> just over on my end. Wonderful. Yeah. So I, I'm, think, I'm gonna I think it's fine, although I'm, I'm hearing myself a little bit, but yeah, that's all right. Yeah, I can live with it. You know, there's something, well, live streaming is always a challenge anyway, but um, yeah, something happened a little weird on the boot up today. So I'm going to run with it and just in my mind, try to program the fact that I'm hearing about a half second delay in my ear, which is really maddening. <laughs> it's it's kind of like having demons, but um, so, you know, I, I think one of the things uh, that, you know, we're uh, going to talk about today and really one of the prominent things is uh, your uh, National Healthy Schools Summit uh, 2022, which took place on April uh, 5th and 6th back earlier this year. It was a nice two-day event, uh, lots of really, really educational presentations, and uh, you've just, as of this week, released the summary report from that, right? That's right. We were and, very happy to do that Tuesday this week. Yeah, and that's that. This document's uh, available over at the Healthy uh, Schools Network uh, website, which is healthyschools.org. So that'll be where you can actually access it and take a look at it, right, and download the document. That's right. It's on the homepage, and we're really we're really pleased about how this report turned out. In part because it's so interactive, we actually embed live live clips of uh, the conversations that were going on, so you really get a a full sense of what people were talking about. It was it was difficult to put together, but we love it. Excellent. Well, one of, one of the things that, that I really thought was interesting with the event is you, you took two two separate tacks. So you talked in terms of what happened with the pandemic, with uh, with the SARS-CoV-2 you know epidemic around the, the world, how it affected schools, and how mm -hmm. it affected school attendance, uh, but also uh, dealing with issues on climate change and what how that's affecting us. There really are two separate crises <laughs> occurring uh, that may well be related, right? I mean, certainly the pandemic probably s sources from climate-related issues, but, um, mm -hmm. you know, so so it, it, this is a unique time, right, for, for trying it to is. make our school environments healthy, right? 
Well, it's a very tough time to do it too. There are really three crises that the public health community talks about right now. Uh, one is obviously the climate crisis. One is obviously uh, the COVID, the pandemic crisis, which is not really gone away yet. And there may be yet another pandemic out there. Um, and then the third is the, the health inequities. And so you put all these together and you put them on top of children and children are more vulnerable generally to the hazards around them than the adults are. Um, and it makes it exceptionally difficult for schools to know what to do, how to do it and when to do it. Uh, so we read with interest the latest version of CDC's reopening guidance, which also which came out, I think, Friday and Monday uh, last week. So um, in our world, we did a, a COVID specific uh, national summit, and that was in January a year ago. And then we followed up this year. We were going to do it in January, but we ran into logistical problems. So uh, in April, which, is, which was the 20th annual National Healthy Schools Day, we hosted a summit that was focused primarily on climate uh, resiliency, um, decarbonization, and so forth. So we also had a wonderful presentation on, from the Academy of Pediatrics representative on, on children and climate, which is really an extraordinary story. And there's a lot of work happening in that field right now. Well, and that leads to the question of what can we do to make schools more resistant, more resilient to what will certainly be a regularly occurring series of weather events that may not be well, good. Let, let me start by by framing that. I'm going to turn it over to Pam because there were some uh, great people that I know that she wants to talk about. Um, we frame the issues around children in schools in a very specific way. We say that children are not just little adults and schools are not just little offices. So you can't make those assumptions and proceed full speed ahead. So children are uniquely vulnerable to environmental health hazards. They breathe more air, eat more food, drink more water and so forth. They can identify hazards. Uh, they have a long shelf life. Children are just beginning what may be 70, 80 years of life. Um, the interesting thing is CDC uh, says now that about 40% of school age children already have existing chronic health conditions. And those are the people you build and operate schools for. If you're not building them to educate children, I don't know what, you know, what are you doing, right? Um, and by the same token, I, we also talk about schools not being little offices. First of all, they're more densely occupied than offices, they're more densely occupied than nursing homes. They're used more hours a week and they don't have a lot of funding to keep up with all of that. Um, and that's certainly one of the big justice issues and equity issues, not only in children's health, but also in, in education. Um, so it's, um, it's very, very difficult. Typically, always the poorest communities have the poorest schools in the worst condition, no air quality, lots of noise, bad siding, near proximate hazards and so forth. And that's really where I'll turn it over to Pam. She and I have talked about these issues before and certainly from her position in Michigan and with the National Association of State Boards of Ed, she runs into this a lot. Uh, we had two great speakers uh, from uh, the unions, teachers unions, and maybe Pam, if you want to take it from here a little bit, that would be great. Oh, Pam, you're muted. That's never good. That's worse than having <laughs> it. Nah, you know, <laughs> live television. 
So, yeah, you know, there were two great um, partners that we had that were with us and representing uh, AFT as well, uh, American Federation of Teachers, as well as um, National Education Association. And on the first day, we had Frederick, Frederick Ingham, who opened up the conference and he is the secretary treasurer for American Federation of Teachers and also Princess Moss who's the vice president of the National Education Association. So really great to have those partners that are there and who are just really just um, just we can't say enough about having that partnership and having them speak up on these uh, health issues. Um, my background is public health, and somehow uh, I sit at our State Board of Education table just uh, when there were multiple public health crises um, that, that were coming up. And uh, to have the, the teachers' unions to be there to support um, their teachers, but also making sure that we have safe learning environments um, for, for our children. Um, you know, Claire talks, uh, brought out some really salient points. Um, and we need to just say that these are issues that we've long talked about. Uh, we knew that if we were addressing uh, some of these issues and especially in our um, black indigenous um, people of color uh, communities, BIPOC communities and low income communities, that when we saw COVID, um, uh, airborne virus come forward, uh, we wouldn't have had to, to be as concerned and teachers wouldn't have had to um, take the hard stances that they uh, had to take to protect those children. Um, I worked in Flint during the, going through the Flint water crisis as the chief public health advisor. So these are issues that we've long known about. Uh, COVID came and now we know that if we don't address these issues that we know so much more about, uh, we're going to um, deal with them uh, um, as we uh, uh, deal with the climate change uh, that, that we're seeing. Well, I mean, certainly the racial injustice issue is a huge one, right? I mean, because mm -hmm. the, there's there seems to be a major disparity in quality of healthcare, availability of healthcare to you know, a lot of underserved communities and those communities also seem to have the public school properties that are maybe the most disrepair not really in the best shape to begin with so mm -hmm. it seems how that really would compound yeah. things right and here in michigan um we had a monumental case where we had seven seven children in detroit that sued actually sued me because i as a wow. member of the state board of education i was happy about it um, and ended up going on their side with them. But they sued the state of Michigan um, under the previous administration because not only did they not have teachers or books, but they also didn't have air um, in the summer and heat in the winter. And we could go on and on about the conditions. And when we looked at Flint water crisis, um, when that was uh, going on. We also had Detroit where the teachers were talking about the build caving in roofs and the children who were missing school, not only because of the ambient air condition air issues, but also the conditions within the school building. And Claire and I met at the National Association Boards of Education when we were talking about water issues. Um, Claire, you came to Flint 
um, mm -hmm. to talk about some of our uh, issues there in Flint. And then we, we have continued these conversations around the air quality in schools and mm -hmm. um, the uh, uh, healthy homes helped us to really outline what we needed to see before mm -hmm. our schools opened. And so we here in Michigan have been able to definitely implement uh, through our state some of those uh, protocols. Um, so lots going on, uh, lots, to, lots to do. We've known about these issues for a long time and we have to do something about it now and we have to do it the right yeah. way. One of the things I want to do, Bob, if you don't mind, I really want to thank the people who helped us put this, uh, sure. put this summit together. And it does include the National Education Association and American Federation of Teachers as primary sponsors, as well as the uh, Association of School Business Officials International, Children's Environmental Health Network, Sierra Club, the Collaborative for High Performance Schools, ASHRAE, which came on board very nicely, NYSERDA, the New York State Energy Research Development Authority, and the Hewlett Foundation. Uh, everybody played a role, and we are so grateful to them for making so much possible. We had almost 300 attendees from 45 states, uh, largely uh, K-12 school districts, um, offices and agencies in health and education environment, uh, and of course, NGO advocates and parent advocates as well. Um, I think that you know what we were really looking for here, understanding that both COVID and climate are continuing disasters, not just one-off events, but continuing and growing. Um, and they disproportionately hit the most disadvantaged communities typically, um, although no one's really immune to all of that, um, is what does it take to keep schools open? I mean, closing schools has not been good for children. Right. It's, it's had some really dire effects. So let's flip that around and let's talk about what is a priority for making schools critical infrastructure? How can they continue through whatever the disaster is? How do they keep moving? How do they keep delivering continuity of services? And so that really was a, a sort of the underlying motivation here is to try to understand what else needs to be done. Uh, understanding the buildings are already in bad shape. So if you're going to put money into them, what kinds of things do you need to do? So we had some really interesting uh, speakers. Uh, we opened with a justice panel. Um, uh, Janelle Wilkins from Detroit was a fabulous leadoff speaker. Um, Casey from American School Health Association was a great moderator. Um, what I want to talk about is a little bit about building resiliency because there are two kinds of re resiliency that we all need to deal with. One resiliency is how do you keep school buildings themselves, which often were built to last 50 to 100 years, so they're out there and nobody can afford to smash them all down and rebuild everywhere. Um, so how do you make them more resilient to what's going on? And for that, I think we want to really thank the Collaborative for High Performance Schools for providing some uh, so discussion leadership on this tough topic, because there's no one size fits all. And that's really a difficult thing for everybody to understand. Um, so the recommendation out of that panel, which is really classic, is you need to understand and really parse your actual climate risks. We know people. everything's gonna get a little bit warmer, but are you wetter? Are you colder? Are you windier? Are you wildfired? What, what, mm. you know, what, do, you, what do you need to be resilient to? And how would that play out? Uh, so in terms of high heat and uh, de-stressing the building, 
There are things like, uh, you know, shade and reflective roofs or green roofs um, and so forth. And of course, tooling, um, uh, HVAC systems, heating, ventilation and air conditioning systems. At the same time, we, you, you need to build some resilience into children. And we heard a lot, uh, not directly as a topic, but indirectly from several of our technical sessions about how climate is adversely impacting children and children's mental health. Um, some, it's, climate, climate events are very scary. We have a lot of scary things going on in schools right now, but uh, climate happens to be one of them. Um, the, one of the examples from the Academy of Pediatrics was seeing children, as soon as they smell wildfire smoke, they see smoke in the air, uh, it, becomes, it becomes traumatic because of the, all the evacuations and what's actually happened on the ground. So I think it's important to recognize how children react to what's going on in climate and how they react to the adults around them. And if they're in a building that doesn't have an HVAC system and doesn't have filtration, what do you do about wildfire smoke? Uh, fortunately, the US Environmental Protection Agency has been doing a lot of work in that field. Um, I don't think it's over, but they've certainly put, put a lot of effort into it for about two years now, trying to understand the exact nature um, and what some of the mitigation efforts might be. Um, so that was really fascinating. The other thing about resiliency in children is we had a technical session about how to calm, C-A-L-M, how to calm down a school building. And it's not about calming, it really is about calming the student body and making sure that um, children with sensitivities are, are easily accommodated and have places to recover but it really is about a calmer school environment. It has to do with uh, attenuating noise. It has to do with uh, softer colors. It has to do with green views. It has to do with um, easy, convenient meeting places, um, the use of color. Um, so there are a lot of really wonderful, and they sound pretty easy to do, particularly if you're doing an all new building, it would be absolutely essential to do it. Um, but I think when even when you're working in older buildings like the city of Philadelphia or city of Boston, Albany, New York, uh, wherever you are, mm -hmm. uh, there are things that you can do to calm down what's happening inside the building. Lighting is another good example. Sure. Harsh and glaring lighting is very difficult on a lot of children. And the noise is very difficult on children. So that's a, certainly an issue. We've also heard discussion in other quarters about the active shooter drills are they really playing a role? Do they, are they more traumatizing or are they in fact useful? And I think that's something that everybody needs to think long and hard about before you do drill after drill after drill. Um, I think in terms of decarbonization, we also wound up with the same sort of uh, approach as resiliency. There is no one size fits all, uh, but the process is, is uh, enough so that every school has to be able to take some steps towards reducing its carbon footprint. Maybe all electric school buses, that's a good one. It might be switching power sources to more electricity, might be solar. Um, there are a number of different options, uh, but schools can, can explore a lot of those and help reduce their carbon footprint along with the entire community. In some ways, it would be really helpful for schools to be hubs of resiliency and hubs for decarbonization. Mm -hmm. um, but not every community is going to be able to do that. It's always helpful to 
we always hope there's more money to do it with. Um, well, I mean, one of the, one of the problems, you know, you've given a shopping list of things that that really should mm -hmm. occur and should be taken care of. Um, we've been experiencing really the ill effects of deferred maintenance for the past several decades, right? I mean, everybody right. keeps kicking the can forward, not fixing things and not taking care of the infrastructure. And, right. and now we're at a unique opportunity with the pandemic or, you know, coming off most of the pandemic uh, and potential federal funding, you know, that there may be funds available to actually do some of these infra infrastructure improvements. The, the question is, is, you know, using them wisely and we're still playing catch up, right? We're 20, 30 years behind in maintenance on a lot of these structures. Right. And are we really going to, you know, like we may just get back to where we should have been already, <laughs> you know? So, so, so how, how do we, um, that's one of, you, yeah, that's, how do we move I think forward? that's the biggest, well, I think that's one of the biggest, most frustrating issues for everybody. And I know it's true in Michigan. Um, I will just say that, um, uh, as much as we appreciate uh, the Biden's awarding, uh, Biden administration awarding a clean air challenge to EPA as part of the COVID-19 preparedness plan, it didn't come with any money. Um, and the, 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 what came out of CDC in the last few days is you've got all this ARPA money, American Rescue Plan Act. Mm -hmm. You've got ARPA money. You still don't have it all spent yet. There are extensions on the expending but it's still not enough. If people really pay attention to it and really work on their HVAC systems and redo the roofing and add insulation and so forth, there's, it's a lot of money, not just a little bit of money. But there hasn't been enough prescriptive guidance. You know, I mean, you, you throw mm -hmm. millions or billions of dollars out there and you say, you've got X amount of months to use it. How does it get used wisely if, if you haven't given a, the districts the guidance? Pamela, back to you. I'm back on mute. So, and you add to that the snake oil salesmen who are there knocking on the door and then the pressure to spend the money, spend the money because you got to get it out the door. Um, that That is a prescription for um, us having this once in a generation opportunity and not being able to um, do what's right for the children. Um, we know we have to get the expertise as, as you've mentioned, Bob, we've got, we have to make sure that we have the expert, the technical support, as well as the experts to do the work. Um, we need to be able to do the assessments, um, be able to take that time to do that. Here in Michigan, we found um, that a majority of our buildings uh, either didn't have HVAC system or it, it, it was like over 65 years. And these, these were in the urban areas, but quite a few across the state had never um, done any maintenance since that, that building was, was um, upgraded, since that building uh, was, was built. Um, so to your point, we have to have the time to get the technical expertise in there, the assessments done, and then the experts uh, to do the work. And we know that we're in a time where there's shortages all over the place, not only of, of supplies, but um, also of, of the people to do uh, work, the work right. Mm -hmm. And so as much as I can talk um, at policymaking tables, it's can we please make sure that this is done right and not put so much pressure on getting the money out the door? See, that's that's the problem because the way it, the way it's set up currently is there's this 
this deadline and, and this push and and just you mm -hmm. know spend the money but spend the money wisely and, and actually make a positive impact don't just waste it right because you know? we all know we're not going to have this 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 opportunity again right it's put a, a, the place where most of the pressure from our perspective should be um, picked up and addressed is really within the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, which has been shortchanged on indoor air quality issues for at least 20 years. Um, they've done a lot of great work, but they don't have enough money. Mm -hmm. And it's still true. They do great work. They don't have enough money. Right. Um, and, I and I know for a fact they've sat in on the work groups that CDC was hosting during COVID. And they said, by the way, what about the air? What about the air? What about the air? It never made it up the food chain inside CDC. You still have CDC issuing guidance on Monday this week that doesn't even talk, that barely mentions air. You know, it's, you know, start with vaccinations and masks, which are, you know, politically hot button issues in a lot of right. places. Air isn't, you know, I hope everybody who's upset about masks and vaccination wants to tackle indoor air. Where's the air? <laughs> well, yeah, and this is an opportunity. It's super unique. I've been saying yeah, this for two years crazy. now on the show that, you know, people at least are acutely attuned to the fact that the indoor environments are important, maybe more so than ever before in our, our lifetimes. Right, right. You know, so this is this is an opportunity to push it forward, but mm -hmm. I, I don't see it necessarily happening. No. We no. don't see it happening either. I think that it is one theory I have, and Pamela, may, I don't know if you agree or not, but um, and, or Bob, from your, your te direct technical experience, um, I'm, you know, it does seem to me that schools have an easy time understanding what a teaching job is or what the secretary job is or what the nurse's job is, more or less, sort of conventional, you know, the personnel structure of a public school. Um, what they have a hard time dealing with is the building. They don't know leadership doesn't know how to talk about the buildings and grounds issues. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, most superintendents and very often administrators as well aren't required to have any knowledge about buildings and grounds. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's a problem. If the, well, leadership, if the leadership isn't prepared to think about it and deal with it, and the voters aren't hearing about it, which is another problem. We don't want to tell you we have problems, so we won't talk about them. Um, if nobody talks about it, it, nobody's going to get money for it. So Pam, um, you come from state board of ed, right? And so you're, you're dealing with these issues. So, so how, how can we yeah. better so, address this? I mean, Claire is right. We have to make sure that we are in this point, right? We're here where we are now, make sure that parents and communities uh, can continue this discussions, uh, these discussions around the connection between your environment, especially your school environments where, we're, where our children spend the bulk of their time outside of their home is so intricately um, connected to not only their health, but also their academic performance. So that's the first thing is that we have to definitely continue to uh, educate uh, children, but I mean, not the, the parents, the children too, but, but parents and community. And then, um, it has not been advantageous for school systems administrators to know about all the wrongs in their building, especially when they have no way to fix uh, what, what is wrong. So even now when I talk to, to um, administrators, yes, Pam, we have the dollars, 
but you already know how long it's going to take for us to spec this workout and, and, and have it done right and find the parts and the people to do this work. And really, should we be building from ground up? Um, uh, you know, starting all over again. So having those conversations, having the maintenance people, we have buildings that that <laughs> we're having conversations around having vet veterans come in and teach children, um, bus drivers teach children. Um, it, so there are competing emergencies. Um, the funding has not been there. So if you assess and identify the issue. How do you fix the issue? Um, and then uh, no one wants to uh, have schools be identified as places that are not safe sure. um, for children uh, to go to school. And, and I could go uh, many of different directions for that uh, because the politics gets pretty deep there. Um, well, yeah, but you, you illustrate a really important point there. Most of these fixes are not overnight fixes. You don't just push a button and have a new mechanical system designed in a building right. or, you know, any major infrastructure change it, it, with the whole bidding process and everything. It's a couple year thing between design, going out to bid, approval. Right. And that I, I can see that's how the snake oil salesman got in the door and sold a lot of air purifiers that were garbage mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. that's you could you could put in a purchase order and have, you know, 200 shiny new machines that do nothing in your room really quickly. For yeah. a million or two. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and um, I've, it, not only being at the policies table at the state board of education, but working in local public health, and um, working in the city of Flint during a water crisis, uh, you see where the science. Um, anybody can see that, but definitely being in, involved, you see. Science takes time, good science, making sure that you're doing the, you know, the validation and, and making sure everything is, is working right, making sure you're doing the research, make sure you're getting, having the right people there before, especially in a school building, you know, the children are the ones who, who have to find out if something didn't right, work right. Um, so there is a lot to that and politic, the politics of things don't always have uh, the patience, as as we've seen over and over again, and more so recently, um, and, you know, or the or the will uh, to to uh, do this stuff right, and that's not to say that we don't that we stop um, educating and pushing and asking for better, and as has been said on this call and through. Um, uh, efforts such as National Healthy Schools and um, the, the education sessions that they have put on, I've learned a lot. Uh, we've even, you know, we began to work with ASHRAE and some of the work that, that Claire uh, helped us to do here in the state. And as a board member, we, we were able to link ASHRAE with uh, Department of Education with um, Department of Health and Human uh, Services mm -hmm. and with our Department of, of Environment. And all of those pieces have to work together and they should have, you know, we should have been doing this long ago, mm -hmm. right. but we know now that you cannot work separately. CDC, EPA and Department mm -hmm. of Ed cannot work separately. Yeah, uh, that's absolutely true. I think there needs to be a lot of pressure to get agencies to work together. They don't normally do it, there's always competition. Um, and, you know, by the way, if we have to coordinate, then we all need staff coordinators, right? Um, so it's, um, it's very difficult to get agencies to work together. 
Um, I think one of the things that uh, Michigan illustrates, and correct me if I'm wrong, Pamela, um, there are about a third of the states in the country that provide no state funding for fixing local school buildings. That's a lot. That's a third. That's a terrible way to save money. I mean, you put a bit terrible burden on children yeah. uh, during their developing years, uh, and you still mandate that they be in disgusting buildings. There's something wrong with that mentality. There really is. Yeah, if, if, yeah, if you study the history of Michigan schools, it's and our funding um, mm -hmm. formulas and mechanisms. It's 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 really disheartening. But I can tell you uh, that we passed a historic budget um, under the current governor just uh, last month, um, and so a portion of the dollars will go to um, a huge portion of the dollars will go to building infrastructures. There's a little bit of if thens there, but mm -hmm. caveats that are that are there with that. But um, it's much more promising because we've we've been at the bottom of the wrong. And so um, when it comes to schools and you do see the the deep, deep um, divides and gulfs, gaps in in disparity mm -hmm. when it comes to the funding and it's, it, it's You're talking from out. district to district, or from district to district. Okay. Yeah, from district to district, we have some of the highest economic um, disparities between uh, school districts, and it and and you could mm -hmm. it mirrors with academic outcomes. Um, and so, you know, we'll we'll focus on testing, 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 test scores, but we also need to look at the environments in which these children live in because. Um, it is a cumulative impact. Uh, many of these districts, um, and again, I go, I just got off of call uh, of racism as a public health crisis, and Michigan did declare racism a public health mm -hmm. crisis, as well as 200 plus other uh, jurisdictions in the state. Um, but when we look at many of these communities that these children live in, um, access to food, uh, the uh, or lack of access to food, the ambient air conditions. But then, when you look at the infrastructure of those neighborhoods and then those schools, um, it it um, a cumulative impact. And so, we do have this once in a generation opportunity to better understand um, the, these linkages between the outcomes, um, but how these drivers um, that we saw that made some buildings uh, less protective or or more likely that a child could um, have, you know, contract uh, COVID in a school building. But we also see these school buildings being uh, those some of these same drivers being the things that would cause a child to have lead poisoning that could be linked mm -hmm. to or have, or their community that could have asthma um, that could be linked uh, to to the to the schools in those neighborhoods. So um, there's a lot there. We we know a lot more. We have more partners that are coming uh, together to look at these things, and and we have to be at the policy tables. We have to be at the research tables. We have to have the blogs, and uh, you know we have to have the organizations um, right. to advocate and promote. Yeah, I think there's been an effort for uh, uh, six or seven years now to uh, reactivate and build a huge coalition to rebuild America's school infrastructure. Uh, and they've not come up with the $100 billion over 10 years, which is the original estimate. Um, 
I, I, it's very hard to understand what it might take. Um, but it is, again, we seem to okay. find money for other things quite readily. You know, mm-hmm. it seems like your children I know, would it's be odd. at the forefront right. you, of you would think, you priority. would think children might be a priority. We, we, we think they're a priority. They're hundred percent of our future. So they ought to be somebody's priority. Um, I think in, I, I wanted to reflect on the Michigan experience and bring it to New York where we're based in the, in New York state. Um, we looked at the conditions of building condition surveys from 2015. This is unfortunately a major database, which is being um, not discontinued, but modified in certain ways. So it becomes less useful, actually. Um, I think that what we discovered is about half of the building stock, public school building stock across New York State, actually doesn't have mechanical air handling systems. We have windows that open, right? Um, so how you, if you don't have an HVAC system or maybe you have air conditioners hanging out the windows, um, you know, how are you going to handle what you need to do, whether it's COVID or whether it's the next climate emergency? Uh, if you have a roof that leaks and you have a horrible storm, you're going to have more damage than you expected to have or would, would normally have under that situation. Um, so we've had our own issues and struggles here in New York. We started my organization actually started uh, more than 25 years ago uh, when our state board of regents, our state board of ed, uh, adopted a big policy document with a lot of recommendations on the environmental quality of schools. And we were very excited because they said, we're going to do it. Every child should have an environmentally safe and healthy school that's clean and good repair. And when the board of regents adopted that, I thought, holy cow, we're halfway there. You know, it's going to happen. Um, and then essentially the regents, after a couple of small studies, and it might cost more money, dropped it. Mm. They basically dropped the report. They talk about it. Yeah. On a, you know, every once They're in a while. They're not implementing it. The, but uh, everything, everything else seems to take a priority. So mm. from our perspective, we took that framework and shared it in the public health community. We've shared it with other states. And we've certainly um, gone to the state legislature and, you know, said, now we need minor maintenance and repair money. Now we need this money. Now we need lead in school drinking water money. Now we need this and so forth. Um, right now in New York, uh, there is, there will be on the November ballot, a $4.2 billion bond act. It's a state environmental quality bond act. And it's pretty exciting because it started with, all of mother nature, right? That was the that was the fix. And we looked at it and we thought, you know, it would be wonderful if schools could be part of mother nature, whatever that is. Um, and when uh, Kathy Hochul uh, ascended to the governor's uh, seat, uh, we approached her staff and said, is there room to do that uh, within the Bond Act? could schools possibly be eligible entities for bond act funding if the voters approve it on green infrastructure, dealing with flooding, dealing with um, water control and heat and shade and parks and so forth. Um, And it turned out everybody thought that was a good idea, including the legislature. So as it stands right now, if New York state voters approve the bond act in November, Schools are eligible entities with two in, in most of those categories, number one. And number two, there's a very specific bump, and I don't have the number in front of me. It's 200, 250 million 
um, on energy and indoor air, which will mm -hmm. be uh, Nicertus to administer. So the State Energy, uh, Energy Research and Development Authority currently has a small program, 59 million, working with low resource schools in the state to get them up to speed and what they need to do for heating and ventilation and cooling and so forth. And to get that expanded so they can cover more low resource schools would be really fabulous. So we're hopeful. What's also interesting about it is it is the single largest uh, bond act anywhere in the country. Wow. It's on climate and wow. it does include schools. So that's huge. Yeah, it's huge. And we're really, really happy about it. We're grateful to the governor Hochul. We're grateful to the legislature. Mm -hmm. We're grateful to the teachers union and everybody else and PTA, yeah. everybody who worked on it. So um, we're hopeful. Yeah. So hopefully, you know, that's something that, definitely have to drive in new york but it, it needs to happen everywhere that's the thing yes it's, it's and both both of you have that vantage point just you see the disparity from district to district in your respective mm -hmm. well claire you're national pam you're you know dealing with your state of michigan um as a consultant i've seen that over the years i've worked in schools and the the thing is the average i think the average citizen only understand understands what's going on in their school you know i mean mm -hmm. that's about their that's the vision they have they don't have a vision mm -hmm. beyond you know, anything in their own district. So if they happen to be in a more affluent district or a district that has, you know, just better infrastructure, I don't think they recognize how, how bad this is. I mean, it really, they also don't get, wouldn't. they also don't get the scope, public mm -hmm. education scope across the country. It's all 50 States. It's the district it's mm -hmm. territories. It's a massive decentralized system. Yeah. There are about 100,000 public school buildings. There are 50 million kids in them, another, you know, several million staff. Uh, schools are typically understaffed, particularly on maintenance and repair. Mm -hmm. I don't think people really understand the scope. And you're right, Bob. They look at, this is my school and it looks fine. Mm -hmm. I think that's happened at CDC. Mm -hmm. I think Sanjay Gupta said, this is my school and it looks great. Yeah, yeah, because he probably lives in a really uh, yeah. affluent right. school district yeah. since he's a big league uh, federal right. administrator. Right. Yeah. And this is this is how it's done. See, it's it's beautiful. It's clean. It's shiny. They have windows. Right. That um, was always what was so disappointing in reading those reports for COVID yes. when they were saying we're yeah. ready to go. Well, what schools did you look at? I mean, and they could not have picked the most uh, the the districts that had like close to 100% of whatever population uh, they were looking at that did not necessarily look at look like our urban uh, districts. Yeah, um, none of them did. <laughs> yeah. None of them did. And, and not, none of those studies did we see, did they ever, uh, uh, leading, leading up to their COVID studies in schools and leading up to uh, whatever was happening last spring, um, we didn't see anything that looked like any detailed reporting on what air quality really was. They have mechanical systems. No, do anybody look at? Are they operational? Yeah, and if they have them, that's the other yeah. issue. You know, broken right. fan belts and fans that are spinning. Yeah. Yes, you know, not moving any air. Yeah. <laughs> and then a, a shout out to the teachers. You know, yes. because these are people who know those children. They know those school buildings, um, and unfortunately, they are the ones who spoke up and spoke out. We saw this back in 2016 in Detroit 
when um, the schools, again, I mentioned were overran by vermin and and the ceilings were, were falling in, but we saw this with COVID and it was so disheartening seeing our educators being blamed for COVID when they were just really pointing out some conditions that they had been pointing out for years. But now, unfortunately, uh, they could have a huge impact uh, on the direct impact on the health of children and their families. And so um, it was. it's good to see the unions uh, being a partner uh, in this with National Healthy Schools, with Healthy Schools Network, um, and, and because it's needed, because our, our educators uh, who are the protectors of our children, um, we know the parents are as well, uh, are, but uh, those, those uh, educators have such a huge impact on our children and we need to support them when they're giving us this data, this internal real life data about what's going on in these school buildings. The problem is you have a shoot the messenger type mentality a lot of times. As soon as somebody right. brings up mm -hmm. whatever issue, you know, problem, you know, it's like yeah. nobody nobody really wants to address it. And I think what, what's interesting you both pointed out is previously I think there there was more of an incentive to use the head of a head in the sand approach from a facility mm -hmm. standpoint, because if you don't have any money to do any of the fixes, right. you tend not to look at the things right. that are problems because you can't do anything about it anyway. Mm -hmm. But you know, now we're at this unique juncture where there there's potential for funding to actually do substantive change. Mm -hmm. uh, but you have to still get out of that mindset of having your head in the sand and not, you know, and ignoring how, you know, how things are being done or they've been done for the last 30 years with deferred maintenance. Mm -hmm. yeah, and there are, again, some real issues with these competing emergencies because now we have the educator shortage um, and many educators left because they felt that their voice was not being heard among other, other things. Um, but we also may have to make sure that we have the parts, the supplies, the expertise. Um, we have shortages of, of uh, staff and experts in, in multiple fields. And so those who um, do this work the right way, it's just going to take some time. Um, and businesses are doing some of this work. And unfortunately, we saw this in Flint. You know, the businesses were getting things uh, repaired and fixed and the schools were the last place um, where that expert expertise was able to go, whether it was because the mm -hmm. finances weren't there or again, because um, the, the time was spent making sure that the businesses business community was taken care of. So there are those real issues um, that, are, that are there right now, but the competing emergencies are a piece of that. Mm -hmm. with the funding so it it we can do it but we've got to do it the right way and that yeah. means that we have to look at all of these um rate limiting the, the knowledge basis uh, issue is is really extraordinary i know epa has tried to pull together a yeah. team of people who are ready to help schools from um yeah. and metal, metal workers and uh, yeah. association and um yeah. Uh, yes. ASHRAE and a number of other organizations are stepping up, uh, according to EPA. Um, can't happen fast enough. It really can't happen fast enough. And I so wish that EPA had had the right amount of money for the last 10, 15 years. It we would be talking about a very different world. Um, because part of what needs to happen, uh, what EPA has been very good about, is putting grant money into the field to educate communities, educate teachers, educate school nurses, educate school superintendents and business officials um, 
public health people who may or may not be in and out of school buildings a lot, um, even the energy offices. And that's been, um, if, if only, <laughs> if only mm-hmm. uh, that had been in place and yeah. EPA had been able to do the things that it knows how to do. So my organization actually, after uh, Biden uh, announced the White House challenge, uh, clean air challenge at EPA as part of COVID uh, recovery plan, um, we actually had a, uh, we're very excited because it's literally the first time any White House has paid attention to indoor air quality. Nobody's looked at it before. So that was really, really exciting to hear that. We didn't see money. We didn't hear about money. So we had a a one-on-one meeting inside EPA. Um, We talked about all the things that would be wonderful to put onto that list of things that need to be, studies that need to be redone because they're 15 years old, um, updated guidance, um, more climate sensitive work, um, decarbonization, which is a tough issue for schools. Um, And I think that um, we came up with an ask of 110 million a year uh, for EPA on children's health programs and indoor air quality in schools, which also applies to childcare, by the way. So uh, we're still hopeful. Uh, what we see in the current uh, IRA, the infrastructure um, um, inflation, inflation, sorry, Infa- inflation Reduction Act IRA, um, is a step in that direction, but it's a tiny step. It's 50 million, and it may it's not just one year. So we're really concerned about it. Um, it's wonderful to have the White House attention, but let's let's back it up. Let's be. Well, serious. that's only a million per state. <laughs> it doesn't go very far. Hundred thousand school buildings, public school buildings in the country. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm just you know you do the math yep. with a calculator. Well, it's like well, not you know, not going to fix a lot EPA, with you know. EPA doesn't do bricks and mortar. EPA. No, I get that. I I totally get that. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I know. And, and I, I would never fault them because I had the opportunity to work with them since the early 90s myself right. on programs and stuff in the indoor environmental division. And I've firsthand seen how they've been hamstrung and underfunded. And mm-hmm. the people there have just worked diligently, you know, against yeah. all odds. They've done. Yes, you know? yes. And they have. We've, we've uh, had a couple of webinars and sessions talking about the work that they're doing uh, on the ground here. Um, and so they have been... Uh, helpful in adding to uh, what what's pulling together again as that joint work that has to happen. Uh, and one other thing that you said, Claire, and it just is something that you said makes me think we cannot have the competition between the ambient air or the outdoor air and the indoor air. Children need to go to school, live, work, and play. Uh, not only in communities that have healthy environments, but also those school buildings. Right. And, and the two uh, cannot be be separated. Well, they're not separated. That's the that's the point. Yeah, you know, it's, like, yeah. it, it's ludicrous to separate them because the air is it's yeah. it, we're in a fluid situation. The outdoor yeah. air ends up in a building. I mean, it. Right, and the building will make that air worse. Mm-hmm. It'll make clean air worse. Absolutely. So. Anyway, I'm wondering if there are any questions from your audience today. We actually don't have any live questions coming up in the chat. There okay. will, um, again, we'll ha- we'll have the uh, comment area open indefinitely because the recordings will be there after today's show. There'll be both the video recording and the audio podcast. So mm-hmm. we will uh, 
keep you both, you know, lined up on that. So, so as things come in, Thank we'll, you. you know, uh, red flag you and let you know that there's there's a comment to answer. Uh, but the, all the recordings will be available. Uh, so that's the good thing. You know, it's everything uh, to that end. Uh, if you go to the Healthy Indoors community, uh, it's global.healthyindoors.com and you uh, scroll down to the uh, both the magazine page, uh, mm -hmm. the current issue of Healthy Indoors magazine just came out. Um, we turned nine this month, and the inside cover story is about um, this um, this document, the uh, focus on climate uh, from the National Healthy School Summit. So that's uh, that, that's really our focus for this month, and um, that's that's available as will be the recordings uh, of this show on the Healthy uh, Indoors uh, live show tab in there so that's all available all the recordings are available so that's a good thing um that's wonderful yeah. thank you so much that's great we really appreciate it i, I, I think we should push a, a, an additional plug again on the on the document so that's going to be available at your website right at the organizational website healthyschools.org it is there now it is a free download and it's also an easy read it's uh, 34 pages which includes the uh, agenda and all the speaker bios and some additional suggested resources. It's healthyschools.org. And for each of the sessions, we included live video clips of what the speakers were talking about. So you can read the text, but if you want to get the full flavor of what was going on, you can click on an icon online and you can listen to that session. Yeah, and that's important. There's literally hours of very good content there that's all available, all free. Right. Well, we, we hope it works. This is a new format for us. We're excited about it. We, we hope it makes it a um, more of a living document uh, than a passive report. Excellent. Well, again, uh, we had mentioned, early, you know, numerous times, you can go to global.healthyinjurers.com. You're going to have access to the this show's recording and obviously going to the uh, healthyschools.org will get you to their site uh, with with the report with access to all those videos so a lot, a lot of great stuff available a lot of uh, I think really timely information you know we're, we're going back mm -hmm. to school what better time to actually try to do some positive impacts you know we, we there's potential for revenue available to be used to actually make some infrastructure and uh, positive impact changes right. in our public schools in this country and, and right. uh, I urge everyone to within your, your communities your school district you know this it's important you need you need to voice right you know, pam you're coming from a, a state board of education yeah ask the questions yeah. um you know be gentle <laughs> but ask the right. questions and demand uh nicely <laughs> that um these issues are being addressed uh in your, mm -hmm. your house ask important. for a very specific answer don't don't you know if the answer is yep i think we took care of that yeah get get specific and say, what did you actually do and what was the difference made? How is this helping? How are we spending money to help children? Exactly. Exactly. And, and you know, and make, and make it a priority. I mean, it should make be it a priority. Yeah. This is super, super, super important. And, and this is again, we have we're in a unique you know, place in time where mm -hmm. I think we for the first time, maybe ever, we may have the resources available to do yes. these things. Yes. So let's make it happen. Absolutely. Well, we're out of time. It goes so fast. Well, thank <laughs> you. It thank always, you. Thank you. Fast. You make time fly, Bob. I, is that what it is? I don't know. Yes. I, <laughs>
<laughs> well, you know, I, I would love to have you both back again, uh, especially as new information comes out and new, you know, there's new uh, landmark points where we, you know, mm-hmm. there's stuff to discuss for, with the general public to try to help push things forward. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I really appreciate both of you and the work you do. Um, Thank you. And, and all the people that volunteer with the Healthy Schools Network to, you know, to to help try to push this message forward and make something uh, absolutely. It's a, it was a it was a great crew. We were really uh, very grateful to everybody who not only helped us out but participated in many ways. So it's um, really look forward to seeing more follow up on this. Uh, I think all the sessions were good. I think the one that. Uh, the one that made the most difference to me was, I think, from the Academy of Pediatrics, actually. Uh, the data they had on what's happening with children and what's happening in climate is really extraordinary. Uh, so I hope that more people pay a lot of attention to that session, as well as the resiliency in schoolyards and calming school buildings and so forth. Well, again, uh, our guests... Claire Barnett, the Executive Director of the Healthy Schools Network, and uh, Pamela Pugh, um, who is the Vice President of the Michigan State Board of Education and also on the National Boards of Education, yes. a member of that. Cut that straight. We'll, we'll, get that, we'll get that right in the liner notes. Executive Board, you're right. Yes. Okay. Executive board. Um, and, and again, this month's issue of Healthy Indoors, which is available, it's on our websites. It's uh, actually, it's everywhere. It's, you can get to it at healthyindoors.com uh, is the website. It, also mm-hmm. global.healthyindoors.com, which is the community, two separate things. gets confusing sometimes. I get that. The online community is an online platform specifically dedicated to indoor environmental topics. Um, and a lot, all of our Healthy Indoors content and content for many other organizations are featured there. Um, Certainly, um, you know, we encourage you to take advantage of this and the healthyindoors.com site. We have a lot of stuff available for you to see. And uh, yeah, we're at at that point. So um, without further ado, we'll be back again next week. Uh, Same bad time, same bad channel. Um, uh, 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern on uh, uh, the Healthy Indoors live show. Until that time, I'm Bob Krell. Um, really happy you could join us and looking forward to seeing you again soon.